0: You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served.
1: Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.
0: Go back to school in style with Adidas, from backpacks to daily essentials to apparel that let your personality shine. Adidas has all the gear you'll need on day one. Visit your local Adidas store or shop on adidas.com for confidence in the classroom and beyond. that is required to succeed because look you know i always want things to be easy for you and feel good and so i'm always going to talk about the law of attraction doing things easy and i think it can feel really good and it can feel really easy when you're working from an inspired place so when you're taking action on the ideas that come to you and you feel inspired to take certain actions but sometimes you have to take those actions over and over and over again until you get a yes from somebody until an opportunity 100% happens, until be successful opens. being a hundred percent yourself i also think that hollywood wants you to be yourself i think that if you are a story creator if you are uh, telling stories in any way your audience needs you to be authentic your audience needs you to be unique it needs you to be you there is no formula of you can only succeed this way and therefore i need you to change your hair i need you to change your body i need to change your voice i need you to change the way you write i need you to change the way you direct no changes need to be made for you to be successful
1: ah the clips you just heard were from Our guest today on Dr. D's social network, Erica Wernick. Erica is awesome. She pulls open the curtain to Hollywood and what happens behind the scenes, the mechanics of the business. I know for me that's very interesting. I love movies, TV shows, like anyone else. I love to binge shows and really understand like where these storylines come from how can they be so creative and we're in a really interesting time where Hollywood's changing streaming and platforms have really changed how actors are approaching roles and creativity and Erica takes us on a journey related to that so sit back relax and enjoy the conversation that I had with Erica Wernick. So tell me how you got into this. Like, how do you become a Hollywood success coach?
0: Well, you want the long version or the short version? Let's
1: do the long version and then we'll just kick it off from there, you know.
0: <laughs> um, well, many, many years ago, 12, 13 years ago, I had a dream of working in Hollywood. I had a graphic design degree and I really wanted to be a designer for television and film. And I had no idea how to do that. I didn't know anybody that worked in the industry. And, you know, all I heard was Hollywood is all about who you know. And I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I yeah. knew no one in the industry, but I was determined. And so I, uh, I ended up breaking in and making my own connections through cold contacting. And I booked my first TV show just two weeks after moving to LA from Philadelphia. And, Whoa, Philadelphia
1: to LA. What happened there? Like yeah. you just were like, I'm out of here. <laughs>
0: well, I wanted to be where Hollywood was. You know, Los Angeles yes. is really the Mecca of Hollywood. And in high school I had done a summer theater intensive at UCLA. So I had already experienced the city and lived there for a summer. So I made the move to LA. I had always wanted to be in LA. I think in my journal, I was like, I need to move somewhere sunny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Philadelphia. I've been there many times. Yeah. That's not the spot for that.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I mean, there are, it's actually funny because uh, in 2012, I ended up booking a TV show that filmed in Philly. And so I was there on location (laughs) um, for six months living in a hotel in the city I grew up in. So that was really cool. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I made that first TV show happen really quickly. And part of the way that I did that, my cousin who, my dad's cousin who had done some coaching um, for businesses, she recommended that I read a book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And it was the very first self-help book I had ever written written. Whoa, that was a Freudian slip because I just finished writing a book. Um, (laughs) Sorry, It was the first self-help book I had ever read. And so I was just kind of blown away. I was like, whoa, like, what is this world? This is so cool. And (laughs) like, you know, like even then, like 12 years ago, I remember saying to my cousin, like, oh my gosh, this information is so important and helpful. Like, I feel like I need to bring this to the younger generation, you know, because Jack Canfield is a you know, an older gentleman that, you know, his audience is slightly older. And I was like, I got to bring this to the younger people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that seed was planted all those years ago um, because I was just so excited about how like implementing those tools really helped me break into Hollywood quickly uh, and build a pretty successful career in television. Um, And so the seed was planted all those years ago of – wanting to help people and wanting to coach. And then it's actually really funny to look back. What What is that? There's that quote from, was it Steve Jobs? Something about connecting the dots where we can connect yeah. the dots looking back. We can't connect them looking forward. And so looking back, it's really fascinating to connect the dots. Um, there was a, another guy that I had heard of named James Malinchak. And he was a speaker, author, and he was actually on a TV show. He was on this show called ABC's Secret Millionaire. And it was a great show. It was like where these millionaires like stripped down of all their, you know, money and mm-hmm. affluence and were put into poor neighborhoods and ended up like donating $100,000 to a good cause in that neighborhood. It was a really cool show. And he held these events in Los Angeles twice a year. I think it's was called the Big Money Speaker Bootcamp. And he taught. It was four days, and back then the event was free, and so it was like maybe three hundred or so people would attend these for four days in LA um, in a hotel. And he would teach us about marketing and about you know like the he would teach the marketing and the the business side of things behind building a speaking career and being an author. And I was fascinated by this. And I like this is while simultaneously I'm designing graphics for television, living out my Hollywood dream. And I'm still fascinated by what he's teaching so much so that I went to this event eight or nine times over the course of years. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. And and I wrote my first book, um, L.A. Bound, The Ultimate Guide to Moving to Los Angeles after my first or second um time attending his events because he taught a lot about like how to title a book and what to do and and all this stuff. And so I just followed what he said and I wrote this book. And um, yeah. it's just funny to look back and see all these like seeds that were planted that were, you know, kind of leading up to building a coaching business around helping other people achieve their dreams. But it wasn't until... I had already been – I think I started coaching four or five years ago. And so I'd already been in the industry for almost a decade at that point.
1: Hmm. Wow. Now, what surprised you about the industry when you got into it?
0: That's a really good question. Um, What surprised me about the industry? I think the very first thing that popped into my head was – how accessible it actually is. I think that – yeah, I just wrote about this in my book. I think that something – an industry like Hollywood, it feels very out of reach. It feels very us and them. Like it feels like the other people succeed in Hollywood and not me. And, you know, look, like I said, I didn't know a single person when I broke into this industry and I was able to do it. And so I think – I, I was surprised about like, oh, well, it's just like anything. It's just like any big dream. It's just like any big goal. It's just like any industry. You know, it's not impossible to break into. It's actually quite accessible. And then as I – like I'll never forget this one day. You know, look, I've been in the industry now for 12 years, which – isn't even that long compared to a lot of other people in this industry. And a couple of years ago, I'll never forget that I was working on a TV show at Warner brothers and Warner brothers is one of the biggest studio lots in LA Mm -hmm. and that they have a lot of TV shows there. And I walked, there's this road on the lot that leads to the commissary where they serve food, you know, lunch and breakfast and stuff. And on that road, It's on on the left and right sides are sound stages. And so I walked down that road. I couldn't believe how many people I knew on the lot. I was like, hey, Bob, hey, John, hey, (laughs) Sarah. You know, like I, I just like happened to see people that I know working on these other shows and in the commissary. And I was just like, wow, like I haven't even been in this industry that long. It's really is accessible and, you know, it's small. It, you know, the industry is small. It feels big. It feels ominous, but it's actually quite small once you start working in it.
1: Yeah, It's interesting when you go behind the, the curtains of something, because I think as a casual viewer, viewer, you see shows and movies and you think this is just like a huge, like other world almost. It could be another yeah. planet to mm-hmm. the casual observer. And Besides being surprised by those things, what what were maybe some of the pitfalls you saw of being in this, you see in being in this industry? You're like, you know, you got to watch out for this type of thing.
0: I think, you know, it's interesting because one of the other surprises I was thinking of saying to that question was like, I was surprised at how nice people were and like how <laughs> the the stereotype of people in Hollywood wasn't always true. Um. But, I think the answer to your question about the pitfalls is kind of the opposite of that. It's like even while that is true, there's also not so you know, a not so great side of Hollywood where, yeah. and, like, I mean, my personal experiences were just like like egos are rampant in this industry. Oh, um, yeah. you know, it's like, and it's not even just from actors. It's from executives and showrunners and people who are in charge. Um, you know, it's like there's just a lot of ego um, in the industry. And, and I remember my very first show, I consider myself pretty down to earth, you know, like I don't think of myself as quote unquote Hollywood. And my very first TV show, you know, fresh off the plane from Philly, I was told by one of the ADs, do not talk to the actors unless they talk to you.
1: What's that about?
0: I was like, I don't understand. Like they poop on the toilet just like I poop on the toilet. <laughs> they're just like, people, right? I mean, just people. Like I don't understand. Like I can understand – like I have this really embarrassing story where <laughs> a long time ago when I was way younger, um, I was obsessed with Dawson's Creek. And my friend and I, for a spring break, drove down to Wilmington, North Carolina where Dawson's Creek filmed. And we got to be extras on the show. And I was like obsessed with Katie Holmes. She and I had the same <laughs> birthday. And so I was like – I just felt connected. To her, and um, I like I was young and stupid. So look, we all have our moments, but yeah, I like I was um standing on set, like, like near near Katie, and she was getting ready for her entrance, and I was like, Katie, Katie, you know, and someone was like, like leave her alone. She's like prepping for the scene. She's about to like, you know, walk on camera, and I and I was like, Erica, what's wrong with you? Y- you grew up acting. You know that, like, I, like what are you doing? <laughs> um, and so. You know, I have had my moments where, like, I try to talk to the actor at the wrong moment. Although, like later that day, Katie was at the craft service table and I was standing in front of it, and I, I was like such a nerd, and like the adult Erica is, like cringes when I hear this, but I, I kind of said under the right my breath, I was like, "Katie, you're awesome." <laughs> and she heard it, <laughs> and she like looked up and laughed, and she was totally cool. Um, I like later got a picture with her. But you know, when that happened on my first show, like as an adult, you know, who's not some like you know young kid who's just like you know yeah. Star Trek or whatever. As an adult, I can read the room. Like I, I, I can read the room, and I'm not gonna go you know, interrupt an actor's process or bother them or anything, but to say that I'm not allowed to speak to them unless they choose to speak to me to like, I just, I'll never forget that. And that was 12 years ago. And that show happened to have like really wonderful actors. And so we all talked to them all the time. I mean, we like became buddies with them. You know, they were super sweet. But I, like that, I just didn't, I just have never liked that part of the industry with with the egos and the power dynamics. And, and I think, you know, actors are really treated as like the most important, you know, they're the kings and the queens mm-hmm. on set and they're the most important people. And it's, and it just feels like, gosh, like even as crew, like we just don't matter in comparison to them. So it's not always like every set has a different dynamic and different tone, but, um, yeah, I just, I just never really liked that part.
1: Do you find that the actors like want to be treated that way or are they, or are they just like, no, it's no big deal, you know?
0: I think it depends. Like I've worked on certain shows where the actors I think f- like fed into it, you know, like they, it, mm-hmm. cause then like, like that treatment really um, impacts their ego and feet. And like, you know, it's actually really interesting because I've worked with actors for so many years now. And I think that, I mean, look, I'm not trying to like shame anybody. I love actors and most of my clients are actors and they're amazing people. But I think a lot of people do go into acting because of the validation, you know, like they like the attention, they like to be seen, they like to be heard. Um, and so that kind of treatment on set, you know, solidifies that and gives it back to them. And so I think that some people love it, you know, some people really enjoy it, yeah. but look, like there's totally wonderful actors that I have worked with that aren't like that at all, that are super down to earth. And I, like, I even like one of my clients works for, an A-list celebrity, and that A-list celebrity is like the kindest person ever and is never like that on set. So it's it varies for sure.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so. Now, where was there a time when you when you come out there from Philadelphia, you're you're like, I'm gonna do this, and you like really doubted yourself at all?
0: Um, people ask me this, and I sound like such a jerk <laughs> when I'm like <laughs> Because I'm like, no, like, there was like, no, (laughs) I mean, like in the beginning, starting out, I don't remember those feelings. When my the first TV show that I booked, it was um, 12 episodes, one season, and it ended up getting canceled. And after that, I had a really hard time getting my next job, even like a waitressing job. It was when the economy crashed. And so um, I went like almost nine months with no work even waitressing and so, or any kind of day job. And, um, that is when I doubted everything. Like I was depressed and I just really struggled and definitely doubted everything. But in the very beginning, like from Philly, I don't, I don't want to say I didn't, but I, I just don't remember it as much.
1: Yeah. I don't think you sound like a jerk saying that. I used mean to be like,
0: no, I had no doubts. I was super confident. I mean, like, look, I have doubts all the time about everything. <laughs> but I I think that like, even in my, I was just telling my clients, like even in my darkest moments where I do start to doubt and I do feel hopeless, like even in those darkest moments, I surprise myself with how much I still believe. So, yeah. I will say that about myself that you know, even when I do doubt, like that desire for the dream is still outweighing those fears and those doubts even when I'm on the floor crying in my darkest moments.
1: Yeah. Now, what's the process like when you're working with somebody? Take me through a little bit kind of the kind of the onboarding and the vision behind working with you. As a coach? Yeah.
0: Um, Well, I do – I have like lots of different um, ways of working with people. You know, I've had memberships and group programs and private coaching. But in general, I think that when we we first start, I do have a bit of a system that I follow. And so number one, I want to know what the dream is. I want to know what the dream is, what the goal is. And I really encourage people to not hold back. And to not judge themselves or edit, you know, because I've found that sometimes people have trouble just sharing their biggest dreams because they're used to people saying, oh, haha, yeah, I want to win the lottery too. Good one. You know, like they're used to the judgment and they're used to the doubts. And so... Um, sometimes people struggle to, to share that. So I start with like, tell me what it is that you actually want because that's what I want to help you create. Um, and so once we do that, then we have to examine, okay, what are all of the fears and the doubts that have been coming up for you around this? And we literally list them all out because the fears and the doubts, I mean, for all of my years in this industry and, and coaching – the fears and the doubts are the number one thing that hold people back. It's so rarely a strategic thing or that they don't know what to do. I mean, it's it's so much more common for the reason to be the fears and the doubts that are controlling their actions or their lack of actions. So we take a look at like, okay, just tell me what you're scared of. Tell me, you know, are you afraid you're not good enough? Are you afraid that this will never happen? You know, tell me what your fears are. Tell me what your doubts are um and then we we flip those fears into affirmations so that we can change the story because i don't want like when we start to go into strategy and come up with a plan for you i want you to actually go for it and the only reason the only way you're going to go for it is if you believe that it can happen um, so sorry, there's a loud truck outside. All right. you know, it's
1: all right. Did you know it's all good? I heard it. I was like, is that the trash?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> track back enough. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's what we do, you know, so we'll flip it. And so like, you know, for example, if they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. It's like, okay, well, what do you wish you believed? Well, I wish I just believed that I was good enough. Okay, great. Well, that's your new story. Of course you're good enough. Um, and so we do that and then and then usually I'll help them you know craft a strategy and you know look at their marketing materials and everything that they're doing and um, you know give them some ideas and help them come up with a, a stronger strategy
1: now is it primarily actors you're working with or tell me like what's the kind of the portfolio type of uh, people you're working with in the industry?
0: my clients are around eighty percent actors but I work with everybody and I think like I always love that I work with everybody because there aren't really other coaches in Hollywood who do. I mean there's lots of coaches for actors, there's some coaches for writers, but there's nobody who really co- like what about all the other people, all the other creatives? So I've had editors and directors and music supervisor and Mm. singer and dancer, and um, I've had a makeup artist, you know, so I really love to work with all different creatives.
1: That's interesting. I, I think people just think Hollywood, they think actors all the time, you know, it's just what you see for TV and things of that nature for that. Is there a, what's the, what's the vibe with social media? and Hollywood these days. I'm curious about how, how that has become important or viable in today's uh, Hollywood.
0: So I used to get sucked into the negative story around social media for Mm -hmm. Hollywood. You know, I'm just being honest. Like I totally bought into the limiting beliefs (laughs) and the negativity that people have about it, but I definitely look at it differently now. And I think that like there's two pieces of it. Like on one side, the social media, social media has created a world of accessibility when it comes to content. So there is accessibility in a way that there's never been before in Hollywood. So this means that there are so many more ways and opportunities for you to show the world how talented you are and show the world what you do. You know, opportunities that just didn't exist before. I think that Um, it's also more accessible to create, you know, to tell stories and there's, you know, you can shoot something on your iPhone and you can edit on iMovie, you know, like it's just so much more accessible with social media, um, which I think, you know, I, I actually think it's a wonderful thing. I think, yeah, I, I think in terms of abundance, okay, now there's even more opportunities for you to get get seen or get your stories seen or impact people's lives. I just think that that is a really great thing. And then on the other hand, the other side of it is that it provides marketing in a way that most people didn't have access to. And I know that in Hollywood, there's a lot of negativity around the concept of an actor being hired because of their social media presence versus their talent you know, someone could say like, oh, I got passed over for the role. And the person that was booked has 3 million followers.
1: Um, I see.
0: And so that's, you know, that's like a big thing with actors in this industry. And, you know, I, I totally understand that and, and believe that, um, you know, that, you know, of course you should be chosen for your talent and not your social media following. And I think that there's a lot of really, um, you know, a lot of great casting directors out there that are totally an in integrity and are not going to cast someone because of that over you. Like I've heard casting directors explicitly say like, we don't do that. Um, okay. On the other side of it, um, Hollywood is a business and they'll, they might see social media followers as tickets sold or viewers on a program. So, I think that like, again, it's, it's, it's creative storytelling, but it's also a business because think about the, you know, the amount of money that it costs to make like a TV show, for example, I mean, like a while back in the day, it's not quite really like this anymore, but back in the day, it used to be like a million dollars an episode. I mean, there's definitely shows that are less than that now. Um, but a lot of shows are more than that. I mean, Game of Thrones was like 15 million an episode. I mean, yeah, it was something like, you know, crazy morning show, I, I think is like 15 million or eight. Million, I can't. Oh
1: remember. my gosh.
0: Yeah. And part of that is like the above the line people. I mean, think about Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon's paychecks, but, um, you know, but like, if you just look at like, okay, let's say it's a million dollars an episode and they do 10 million epi- or 10 episodes, that's 10 million, $10 million that they're investing to create a project. They need to now make that $10 million back. Yeah. And so, I do think that the industry is a business and I think that um, even though you shouldn't be hired because of followers over craft, I think that there are good things about social media in terms of free marketing. I mean, it's an incredible way to connect with fans and to get the word out about anything. It also makes it really accessible to connect to people that you might not normally be able to connect to. You know, like I'll tell my clients, like post your stuff on social media, post something that you're really proud of that's your work, and then tag producers tag casting director, like tag the people who you want to see it writers you right. know people like that like that's not something that was an option before so I guess that's a long way to say no, I, I it's think it's a really wonderful tool
1: I don't even know that that like that was the directors are making those decisions potentially on mm-hmm. that kind of slippery slope it also makes me think though Erica like Do you feel that's kind of happening in a variety? Uh, I know you're not in all these other industries, but do you feel like that could be something that's happening at large in our society where we're picking influencers or people with a lot of followers potentially over people who are talented at a certain thing?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And I think like, look, I, I wrote a book and I'm working on getting it published and some publishers, not all, or, you know, but I've had two agents tell me my platform isn't big enough. And, um, and so like they want you to have a certain amount of followers uh, as a nonfiction writer to be able to get a publishing deal. Some will say, and so I don't, I just don't buy into that narrative as like the be all end all, because there's always going to be an example where that that's not true. Um, so I don't like to buy into limiting stories like that, but I, I do think that it is happening in other industries. The thing to be aware of is that like from a business standpoint is that followers don't always translate into sales. Yeah. Right. And so there's, you have to look beyond the number count. I mean, there's so many fake followers There's, yeah. you know, and like people follow just to follow, but aren't actually going to open their wallets for that person.
1: Yeah. I, I think we've been almost kind of socialized into this numbers game about Mm -hmm. this whole thing it's like well you have this many followers this must must mean that you have their certain level of weight associated with your name for that and i wasn't aware in hollywood that that was like becoming a thing like hey we're gonna hire an actor based off of their following potentially
0: if you think about it like youtube stars are getting acting deals you know things like that and i will say that like even before social media There was still a form of that essentially happening. It's like when, you know, it's like a movie star becomes a movie star and then they get all these offers. People want them in their movie because they're already well known and already have fans. So even if, Instagram didn't exist then or TikTok didn't exist then. So they couldn't equate to the exact number of fans they had. They still knew that they had fans. And so like that's been a thing in Hollywood forever where they want to cast a name. You know, that's what they call it. Like, oh, I was was looked over because they cast a name. So I think a form of it was happening before. It's like it's just a slightly more measurable now.
1: Well, before was it Part of it was like, hey, they, they took a chance like on somebody and then they produced a huge box office number or something. Or ratings are like, oh, this person, they make money. We put them on screen. They just make a lot of money when they do these movies. Maybe they're not as talented. Because you see like some actors who are like incredibly talented, but they never are like, in these huge blockbuster movies. And maybe that's by choice. They don't want to be a part of that. I see like, the kickback that certain actors don't want to be a part of these superhero genre.
0: Mm-hmm. They don't think
1: it's acting, really, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. It's it's interesting that that you're right. It is kind of it was like that before. It's just different. But we bash the thing that's now because we think it's not as legitimate.
0: Yeah. As I mean, still. look, at the end of the day, they want to make money. And so they're right. looking for ways to prove that they're going to make the money. And so they don't. I mean, Hollywood has never been big on taking risks. Never, and yeah. it's because there's money attached to it. I mean, even if you think about a big blockbuster movie, if they're spending a hundred million dollars on a movie, they 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 want to put something in it or lots of things in it that are going to guarantee they're going to make that money back.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what's been the strangest aspect of what you do as a coach that you're like, man, it's just weird doing this as
0: being <laughs> a coach? Um, uh, what's strange about what I do? You know. I don't know. I don't know. It's really strange. I think it's funny both with designing graphics for television and with being Hollywood success coach. With both of those careers, people always say to me, "I don't understand. Like, what is that?" <laughs> I <don't understand."> <laughs>
1: right. Know?
0: And and so it's so. I guess that's part of the strange part. You know, people don't know what I do. I think you know, I'm the first Hollywood success coach. I, I was blown away that HollywoodSuccessCoach.com was even available when I started my business. Right. Um, and so people are like, well, what does that mean? Like, what do you do? And, and even with graphics for television, cause most people have no idea what that means. Like, what do you I mean? I don't
1: either, by the way, what is it? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. And, and, but I didn't know until I knew, you know, like until oh. I learned. And so I think, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you design graphics for television. Does that mean you like do the posters and the marketing? And, um, no, I, I design graphics that are part of the sets and the props. So if a TV show has a scene in a restaurant, I'm going to design the menu. I'm going to design the sign out front. Oh. I'm going to design, you know, the takeout bag. So anything Whoa. you see in a show or a movie that would have been designed by a graphic designer in real life is what I'm doing. And a lot of times it's like products where we can't use the actual brand, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I would have never thought that was the detail that it got down to. I just thought they'd just like bring that stuff in. Like (laughs) I'm not trying to devalue what you do. I just, how do I, you know, the, the general public doesn't know this stuff.
0: No, I I mean, no clue. Sometimes it is product placement and it'll be, you know, like a Coca-Cola or something, but um, especially in television, more so than in film, although it'll be really interesting to see if this is probably has already started shifting with uh, streaming because in television more so than film you don't you you can't show products as much because there are commercials in television yeah. and so you can't you can't show a brand that might potentially compete with a brand that would be advertised during a commercial and so it, it and you know and so film you know you don't have commercials so it's different so y- you don't have as much of that but it's interesting to see with you know streaming platforms like Netflix and then Hulu where they take the the ads out like where we're not seeing commercials as much I'm curious how that will shift in product placement
1: Well it also seems as I, I'm like I'm like a lot of people I'm sure I watch Netflix a lot and Hulu and all that stuff how has that changed Hollywood the invention of streaming and, um, kind of straight to Netflix or straight to Hulu, whatever, uh, or, you know, shows that are just debuting on these platforms. How has that changed work in Hollywood?
0: I mean, it's changed it so much. And, you know, there's some downsides to like, not as much as shown in theaters and people are worried that like movie theaters aren't going to exist, you know, in the future. Um, So that's definitely a downside, but I think there are so many incredible things that have come out of it from, you know, I think from a content, a content standpoint, one exciting thing is how like talk about taking risks, you know, it's like how creative um, the shows are on, streaming platforms like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu where they might not handhold as much or um control the story as much as something like ABC or NBC would you know i think that on broadcast networks we see the same shows over and over again there's a lawyer show there's a doctor show you yeah. know it's the same thing over and over and there's very little risk taking very little um you know going off you know going off from that and then Netflix comes to the scene and they're like giving writers more creative leeway and the, and and I think too they don't need to pander to certain markets you know where like broadcast network they might have to um you know create content that is so specific for middle of america or something and so or even their advertisers or you know whatever and Netflix has a, such a broader range, I think, too, of don't quote me on this. I don't I don't have the research, okay. to really back up, but like I think that you know Netflix has a much broader well I mean I think that's true. Netflix has like what over a hundred million subscribers or something. Right. And there are not a hundred million people, I don't think, watching ABC. So <laughs> You know, I think that's really, you know, interesting. I think artists are really excited about platforms like Netflix because they feel like the stories are so much more interesting and there's just so much more creative play in that. And I mean, look, look at when was the last time, you know, Netflix didn't sweep the awards now, you know, like Netflix is winning all the awards and I think they have 160 nominations for the Emmys and, and there's a reason like they're creating content that the networks weren't allowing, you know, to exist. So I think that's a really interesting, you know, I think creatives are are excited about networks, like, you know, streaming platforms like Netflix yeah. in terms of content creation. And I mean, the quantity has just blown up.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes.
0: You know, yes. and like, look, that could be seen as a bad thing, too, where like, I think, you know, we're probably a lot feeling overwhelmed by the quantity of content. But at least from an opportunity standpoint for artists, there's way more opportunity. Um, so and then and, and then behind the scenes, like scheduling has changed a bit. You know, in Hollywood, there's. Um, I hope this isn't boring. <laughs> just no,
1: like, no, oh, I don't know goodness. any of this stuff. Literally, okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody does. Just so you know, like,
0: <laughs> like so, behind the scenes, how television is made. There's, there's a, a cycle in terms of like the, the year. So in January, um. End of January, February is when pilot season starts. And that's when, you know, all the networks will film all of their pilots. And what would normally happen is a network like ABC or NBC, they might film 10 pilots and then choose to green light two of them. And so they'll spend pilot season filming the pilots. And actors, you know, they love pilot season because it's opportunity to get leading roles, which you can't normally get during the year when the pilots have already shot. Um, And, you know, things and like to get to be a part of new content. And so pilot season is like February through April. Um, And then, you know, you have May sweeps. And then, um, you know, I would always we would always have like a break and not every television show follows this, but there is sort of this calendar that echoes, you know, when we see like, you know, must see TV in the fall or I guess must see TV was from NBC. But like you know, when that happens in the fall and all the new shows come back in September, it's like we were on hiatus June and, um, some of July, like I would always go back July 4th, like right after July 4th. And And like every year, no matter what show I worked on, I was always going back around July 4th and then episodic season begins. And so there was this calendar that, I mean, the calendar still exists, but Netflix doesn't have to. They
1: don't care uh, about that, right? No,
0: Uh, because there's no schedule like that of like new shows have to air in September or you know what I mean? Like there's just they don't have that type of calendar that they have to be chained to. So like pilots are shot all the time, you know, like pilots. I like that. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think it's great, you know what I mean? i I just again, I think it creates more opportunity, but so I think that the that calendar is not being as rigid with the with the other. I mean, I think that ABC, the NBC, the CBS is they're still following that calendar for sure but but not so much with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon.
1: well, do you think that will well one two things one, has that changed your business because of the change in the scheduling and the opportunity? for you with uh, with working with people
0: um not really i mean i'm a big believer in abundance in terms of opportunity so i think that even before netflix existed i still believe in opportunity so i like i still believe in it i will say like it does help to to tell people hey like all of you artists who have these dreams now is the absolute best time to pursue those dreams because the opportunities have just like quadrupled, not even quadrupled. I mean, the quantity is insane, and and the the lack of the rigid schedule. I mean, you know, it's a great thing to share with people as an opportunity. But I have still used like pilot season. It is still a thing, episodic. It's still a th- it still exists enough that I do sometimes plan uh you know programs or courses around those seasons but um other than that it hasn't really impact- impacted my business too much except for i will say every single creative i ever talk to it's like i want to work at netflix i want i want to do a show on netflix
1: yeah you know what's interesting it seems like um because you're talking about all the creativity and the options how does somebody penetrate that? Like, just on a very general level, say somebody was like, Oh, documentaries are the thing. I mean, I love documentaries, love watching them. But if somebody is like, I see my life as a documentary, I want to pitch that to Netflix. How do they even start something like that?
0: It's interesting because I'm in the process of pitching a show right now, or at least developing a show, getting it ready to pitch. Mm-hmm. And Netflix is not necessarily on our list. But I think that there, there's a lot of different, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can co- go about that. I think that, um, it's still, th- here's here's what I would say. Someone messaged me the other day and was like, Oh my God, you work in Hollywood. I have an idea for a Netflix show. Can I talk to you about it? Yeah. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I didn't say it like that. I was like, Oh, I don't do consultation. Sorry. Um, but the, like the accessibility of it that's the downsides where it feels like everyone's suddenly an expert and ever everyone suddenly has an idea, which, um, I mean, those people will just get weeded out. So I guess it's not such a huge thing, but I think that at the end of the day, like if you were like, I want to be a documentary filmmaker and pitch to Netflix, I think it still counts and still matters for you to have compelling material, you know, for you to be good at what you do, because, um, even though there have been, you know, Projects on Netflix that maybe aren't the greatest, um, yeah. you know. I, I I do think they like they still do care about quality, and I think they still are looking for experience. And you know, so I think that you still need to make a compelling sale, you know, a compelling pitch. So I think that you need to have um, content that is worthy of a Netflix streaming platform, you know, and. Um, And be able to and be able to pitch that. I mean, and then of course, like, to be able to pitch. I mean, Netflix every now and then they'll do like these like open call kind of pitches. But I think that outside of that it still comes down to like, it's all about who you know. You know, you've got to know people on the inside. Now, if I were starting out, I probably just would cold email everyone at Netflix. I mean, because I'm a big believer in cold emailing if you don't know the people. Um, but that's where also representation can really help, you know, an agent or a manager can get you in those meetings and help you pitch. Um, so representation is a big part of that. Um, and just building relationships yourself. I mean, look, I've been in this industry now for 12 years. And so I know, a handful of people. And so that can help me connect the dots. So I think it's still, I believe everyone can have their dreams. And so if it's your dream and you feel meant to do that, then I'm all for it. Um, but have have quality content, be good, like be a good documentary filmmaker. Yeah. And the other thing that I always tell people too is to not get so attached to the specific network. Or platform. Or like I would say don't get don't get attached to a specific outcome or label, because like, for example, I have a, an acquaintance of mine who is an Emmy winning documentary filmmaker and like her documentaries weren't on Netflix until after her Emmy. Right. And so but she was still winning an Emmy, you know, like she was still really successful even without it on Netflix yet. And so Netflix distributed one of her documentaries that was phenomenal. And um, now she has a second one that's out now too. And so I think that like success can look different, you know, success can, can take forms in so many different ways. And Netflix is not the be all end all when it comes to success.
1: You think that's a common deal with people that, I mean, that might want to work with you or are working with you, that they see success, that it has to be a certain type of success or a certain avenue for it?
0: Yes. Yes. And like, I'm constantly coaching people because the the way that I see it is, well, and it's not just the way I see it, but I, I've read a lot of, you know, books on this and Mike Dooley explains this as well. If you are focused, I mean, I think it's great to have a goal to work with a specific Mm -hmm. person or agency or network or platform. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that goal. Um, But when you get so tied to it and you decide that that's the only thing that's going to equal success, you are literally closing yourself off from like a million other opportunities that are around you. And so you want to be open. You want to be open to it looking differently. You know, I I I always say, you know, let's say, and this is not true at all. I have no data to back this up. This is just like a silly example. Mm -hmm. But let's just say, for example's sake, that you're this documentary filmmaker and you dream of, you know, working with Netflix. Let's just say the documentary department at Netflix is full of a bunch of assholes, and. Yeah, they're, yeah. you know, they're jerks and it's really not a good department. And I'm making this up, please. This is not true at all. You're <laughs> just, not <laughs>
1: assholes, guys. Yeah, no,
0: I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure they're wonderful people. I'm just saying this for sake of argument. sake. So like, let's say it's just like a really crappy department and it's toxic and it's not fun to work with. You don't know that from the outside, right? right? You just see Netflix and the shininess of Netflix. And so when you say, no, I want to be this documentary filmmaker and it has to be with Netflix. You don't even know, like, but what if Hulu is way better and a way better experience? And you're shutting yourself off from that opportunity because you're so closed-minded and so focused on just Netflix. You don't even know what it's really like behind the scenes there. And I always like to say the universe is going to know the best experience for us and help us get that instead of what we think it's going to be.
1: That's good advice, really good advice. You know, lastly, I wanted to kind of touch on or hear your thoughts about how Hollywood and work has been impacted by COVID-19 and uh, how that's been for you.
0: Yeah. Great question. I, this is the first interview that I've done where I really talked so much about Hollywood and I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> I, like I mean, it.
1: Hollywood success coach. I want to know. <laughs>
0: I know. I know. Like, so, yeah. But like, it's, it's really fascinating. And I, I think you're asking such a good question. So thank, thank you. you.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, So the with the pandemic with Hollywood, um, it's impacted my business a lot. And, you know, I like my income decreased by like sixty-three percent this year. So um it it really, it, you know, it impacted a lot because of obviously the industry has been shut down and so no work has been happening. And then I'll also have a lot of clients who have day jobs working in restaurants, and so the restaurants were shut uh, down. Yeah. So, and like before the unemployment really kicked in, it's like people had no income and were terrified. And, you know, they're not necessarily going to invest thousands of dollars to work with me when they've just lost every ounce of income they had. And we have no idea when this industry is even opening up again. So in the beginning, it, you know, um, it was, it was challenging for everybody, myself included. And I, I, I did struggle. Like, I don't want to make it seem like, oh, I just made it work and I was great. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I struggled and I, you know, and I had a tough time and I was, yeah. but I, I did what I did do is, um, I really tried to pivot and I tried to create like, okay, well, what can I create? What can I do? And so like the, like the first few weeks, um, maybe that first month I offered a free coaching call, like a group call with like, I was like 40 people were on there and it was just free. You know, I went through everybody. Um, and so I just tried to offer for free, you know, and and help people that way. And then when the unemployment started kicking in, I started offering like very low end products. I'm like, okay, well, how can I still help people? That's not as big of an investment. That might feel easier for people to do right now. Um, and then in terms of the industry, it's been really interesting. Like I've had um, I have a friend who's a coach who was really helping me shift my mindset into believing that anything can happen at any time. Even with the industry, quote unquote, shut down, if we believe that that means that opportunities don't exist, then opportunities won't exist. But there are examples of people, you know, using this time and creating opportunities for themselves. You know, some popular examples that people might know of is like Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift wrote an album during quarantine and released it and just like broke all these records. You know, um, Miley Cyrus Created her own little talk show on Instagram where she would interview people. Like, and I know that these are celebrities and it might be like, oh, well, they have resources and whatever. But the point is, is that I think that this time can be what we make it. And so I've really, you know, been shifting into that mindset of believing that anything is possible and anything can happen at any time. Um, You know, Sarah Cooper, she, you know, she just, her career just kind of blew up from some funny TikTok videos she did. Um, and she just got representation and and her own comedy special. And so, you know, I've been helping my clients lean into that more um, and really believing that anything is possible. Like I've had people get agents and managers during this time. Um, and then like now the industry is starting to open up and some shows have started filming again and... Yeah. The the safety protocols are um, – from what I've seen and heard from peers, we have like this reopening Hollywood Facebook group and people have been posting photos and videos and, you know, posts in there about what it looks like opening up Hollywood and like they're really serious about the safety protocols. People yeah. say they feel safer on set than they do in their own house or they do at the grocery store. So I do commend Hollywood for um, – finding a way and creating a solution so that people can get back to work because it's a really scary time. You know, people in Hollywood, we're all in unions and a lot of people have lost their health insurance because our health insurance is tied to how many hours you work. And so like that's been a really scary thing happening too. And so some people are really anxious to get back to work, not everybody, but, um, so I do commend Hollywood for, you know, hiring epidemiologists and figuring out solutions so that people can get back to work.
1: Oh, that's, that's good information. I had, I was actually reading about kind of the safety protocols in Hollywood. And I was like, these, this is like serious on set. They're like literally going hard on this thing, like super precautionary. And I thought it was interesting, especially thinking about how our country can be somewhat divided related to those types of things Mm -hmm. that Hollywood is like, no, this is going to be as safe as humanly possible for that. I think
0: too, because of the unions. I mean, like they almost can't get away with doing anything less. Uh, The unions wouldn't let them. And I think, you know, it's it's the actors have it the hardest in terms of the safety because they have to come in a close contact with each other and then with like makeup and hair artists and costume or you know wardrobe people so um like the crew it's like slightly easier but um i know it can be really scary for actors and so you know look sag is gonna make sure that like you're not signing any waivers and that you have to feel safe on set because if actors don't feel safe they're not gonna take the job
1: Totally, totally. I got to tell you, this was fascinating to learn about. Oh, I hope you know, like, oh, this isn't boring. I'm like, no, no, don't say that. I'm like,
0: it's like oh, this is like all behind the scenes, like technical. Hard stuff. That's
1: what I want to know. And I think a lot of people, that's the show is kind of really that. learning about the inside behind the scenes actions of so many different things in life and so you just provided a you know you pulled the curtain open and say hey this is what's going on and i i think it's amazing you're amazing thank you so much for being on
0: oh my gosh thank you and i feel like some of what i talked about is doom and gloom but <laughs> i i'm that's not my message at all and i really like if i could leave you with anything i really believe that any dream is possible um, you know, like like I was saying in the beginning, Hollywood is more accessible than I realized, and I think that that is true for any dream that anybody has that if you believe that it's going to be accessible, it will be for you. So, I just wanted to at least share that
1: <laughs> well, I definitely believe it. I mean, you sound very sincere and genuine, and you you pulled me towards you when I uh saw your profile, I think on a different site about podcasting. I was like, I got to talk to this person. <laughs> and I was just, it made me want to do that. So thank you for an enlightening conversation, Erica. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for so having me. So I wrote me. a book. You got it. And it's hopefully coming out next year. I'm working on getting it published right now. The title is called Meant for This. And the subtitle is The Mindset and Strategy to Achieve Your Most Impossible Dreams. This book is for any artist who has a dream that they feel they're meant for. And the reason why I feel like this book is so needed, and by the way, this is not just for Hollywood people, this is for any artist, for anybody who has a dream inside of them that they just can't ignore. This book is for you. But the reason why I feel this is so important is just the other day I was in a Facebook group, a Hollywood Facebook group, and some new person starting out in the art department had posted, you know, is this a bad time to be starting out in the art department with COVID because um, you know there aren't as many people on set right now, you know, should I should I not be pursuing this? And some woman responded and said, you should just. Give up right now and pursue something else. This is not a good time. I'm hardly hiring assistants anymore. And it's just a terrible time. You should not pursue this dream. And I, this is why I'm writing this book, okay? (laughs) Because I think that that is the standard response. When you have a dream that people feel has too many obstacles, you're going to be told that it's unrealistic or you shouldn't be going for this. And That literally makes my blood curl. Is that the right phrase? (laughs) It makes my skin crawl. Like I want to throw something. I get so angry when I hear people speak that way because I just feel 100% the opposite. And of course, I got right in there and commented back to that young girl. And I said, I have a different take. (laughs) Respectfully, I disagree. I think any moment in time ever that you feel inspired to go after your dreams is the time to go after it. There's going to be obstacles, no matter what you are pursuing, COVID or no COVID, there are going to be obstacles, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it. And it doesn't mean that you can't succeed at it. It doesn't mean that you can't find happiness doing this and feel fulfilled. So I really felt like people needed a voice, someone to tell them that, It's okay that you have this dream inside of you that you just can't ignore that feels impossible to other people, or maybe it even feels impossible to you, but I'm here to tell you it's not impossible. It's a hundred percent accessible. It is doable. Let me show you how. You know, I've done it in one of the most difficult industries, and now I've led countless other clients doing it in this difficult industry of Hollywood. If we can do this in Hollywood, you can do this no matter what dream you are pursuing. So that's why I wanted to write this book. It is called "Meant for This," and you can get it at Meant for this book.com. And while the book is not available yet, you can download the first chapter for free when you get on the waitlist. I'm building this waitlist to show publishers that there's interest, so please come sign up for the VIP waitlist. I am really excited to share this book. I finished writing it a week ago, and I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of it, and I'm really excited to inspire and empower a new generation of people to really fully go for their dreams, regardless of what others tell them. So go grab that first chapter and uh, let me know what you think.
1: So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called the donut, or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences, and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of
0: Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. Those big wireless companies try to lure you in with a new phone just to lock you into a contract. Not Simple Mobile. If you have a great smartphone you love, you can get a powerful nationwide 5G network without the contract. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone's compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Message and data rates may apply. Visit simplemobile.com slash privacy policy for privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. Compatible 5G capable device and SIM required. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. 5G upload speeds not yet available. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, How so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. (laughs) Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback.